All right, well, welcome. How are we all doing? Okay. Yeah, sort of, semi, tired, worn out. All right. So as Robert mentioned, we're starting a whole new series called, what is it called? It's called The Beautiful Law. <laughs> See, I have a secret little monitor down here so I can check. Right now it says the Ten Commandments, right? But the series is called The Beautiful Law. How many, when you think of the Ten Commandments, go, ah, oh, beautiful, right? We don't think that way. We still kind of have that, you know, Sunday school mentality of Ten Commandments basically mean we better shape up or God's going to be mad, right? That's kind of how we think about the Ten Commandments. So um, we're going to talk a lot about that this morning. Really, this morning is an introduction. And I, you know, I really actually, I say that only halfway jokingly, is that a word, jokingly? But I think that really is an issue, a challenge for us, right? How we think about the law, God's law, and kind of where we go with God's law. And I think there's kind of two ends of the spectrum when it comes to God's law and how we can can miss the point of God's law. One of this end of the spectrum, I'm going to move stuff around here a little bit because I like to move. One end of the spectrum over here is, you know what, I'm, I'm saved by grace. Man, I've, I've been to the Greg Glory, you know, Anaheim Stadium thing. I've gone down in front. I've said the sinner's prayer. I've done it 20 times now. I'm saved by grace. And the law doesn't matter, right? I, I, I got my fire insurance. I'm covered. No worries. And God's not very concerned about my day-to-day life. And I can just do whatever I want. And I know he's got me covered, right? That's clearly an error, right? Anybody here think the Bible teaches that? that is that orthodoxy? No. So that's, that's this end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is over here where it's like, uh, I, I, I blew it big time today and, and God is so mad at me and I'm sure I've, I'm sure I've completely lost my salvation. Right? I, look, I gave my wife a stern look this morning and that's it. He's so mad at me. I, it's all over. Hell. I'm going to hell. That's it. I've tried to illustrate the most extreme examples, right? But do we not, if we don't live on one end or the other spectrum, we often visit that end of the spectrum. Don't you have times when you go, oh, maybe when Robert's preaching or I'm preaching or you hear somebody on the radio and you go, wow, Lord, maybe I'm not even a believer, right? And we visit that place, even if it's kind of momentarily. Or sometimes we're over here and we visit this place and we go, I'm on the way to church this morning. And of course, I'm all hopped up, got all the adrenaline flowing. I'm in fight or flight mode and driving to service. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm speeding. And for a moment, I visited this place over here, and I thought, well, but everybody's speeding. And does God really care that I'm speeding? Is this really a big deal? We're all speeding. By the way, we're in a construction zone where the speed limit is now 55, in case you haven't noticed, for, for those of you who are running up and down the 15 freeway. And I'm like, ah, oh, but it's all right. Okay, God, now, I'm, in gr- I'm under grace, right? I'm visiting this place for a moment, and I'm completely missing the point, right? Is the point about my speeding, or is the point about what I put my hope and faith and trust in? Is my hope and faith and trust on in my, my adrenaline-soaked brain that just wants to push the gas plate right through the floor? Is that what I'm hoping and trusting? Or is my hope and trust in the Lord and how he's going to get me here in front of you all to present whatever he, he's asked me to present you, right? So... These two ends of the spectrums always pivot and, and always you, the way to kind of move out of those extremes is to think about 
where is my hope and faith in, right? And as you think about the law of God, the primary question is, what is my hope and faith in? Is my hope and faith in the law in and of itself? Or is that just an expression of this trust relationship that I have with God? And that's where we find the sinner. That's where we stand with God properly in the midst of his law. It's in relationship with him that we're putting our hope and faith and trust in him. That's where we need to live. Even though we may visit this end occasionally, we may visit this end occasionally, but where we want to live is in this covenantal relationship with God. And we find, actually, the Ten Commandments in the middle of, in the context of God establishing a covenantal relationship with his people. So what is covenantal? That's not a word that we often use, right? We don't go around and say, hey, you want to enter into a covenantal relationship with me, baby? (laughs) Right? We 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 don't date that way, right? But covenantal relationships actually govern every aspect of our life, do they not? What do you say when you're standing in front of a minister and getting married? What are you saying to your spouse? I do. You do what? What do we do? I take you obey. Now there's a brother who's been married for a while, knows how it is. His wife is shaking her head. Well, what we say is, I take to have and to hold you in what? In sickness and in health, in poverty and wealth. Right? I kind of just mixed that up a little bit, but that's okay. But we make, we make a covenantal relationship. Now, is that relationship all about, you know, i got to keep these laws perfectly? No, the, the basis of the relationship is relationship. The basis of the relationship is love. The basis of the relationship is trust. Amen? And this commitment to honor you and to hold you and to protect you and to nurture you flows directly out of this faith-based relationship, right? Because I'm trusting the Lord that he's going to empower me to love you well, just as you're trusting the Lord to empower you to love me well, right? That's a covenantal relationship. We have covenantal relationships in our marriage, with our, in our marriage, in our families, with our kids, do we not? Do we not give, read our kids the Ten Commandments? What, what are the Ten Commandments of your household? Hey, if you're living under this roof, what? You're going to be home by 10. If you're not home by 10, you're going to call me and tell me what's going on, right? Whatever, wherever you are in that process, right? It's, it's all covenantal relationships, and they all have parameters. And what are those parameters? Are those parameters there just to make us feel bad? Those parameters are, are an expression of the relationship. They're an expression of love and faith in the relationship, right? And that's what the Ten Commandments are. They're an expression of the love and the faith that God is building with us as people. All through the whole Old Testament and right through the New Testament, God is saying over and over and over again, I am making for myself a people. They will be my people, and I will be their God, right? So that's the context that we're looking at these Ten Commandments. So as we go through this series, and teach through, you know, thou shalt and thou shalt not, and et cetera, et cetera. Don't go, uh, don't go, don't go over here and go, uh, I'm, I'm just awful. God hates me, and I might as well just go home and kill myself, right? Don't, don't do that. Go instead, ah, uh, what does this mean? What, what is the fact that I'm not obeying in this area? What does that mean about my love and trust in Christ, right? That's where you need to go. 
All, on the other hand, don't go over here and go, ah, commandment, commandment. Uh, whatever. You know, it's like, oh, they don't matter. God, Christ has got me covered, right? It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, what if you lived your marriage that way? And actually, some people do live their marriage that way, right? Oh, wife, oh, husband, whatever. You know what? Pastor, what can I, what can I get away with and, and, and not have her run off on me or divorce me or have him divorce me? What, how much can I get away in my, with in my marriage before my spouse is going to divorce me. It's like, if that's your question, you're missing the entire point of your marriage. Am I right? That, that the point of the marriage is you have this amazing person that God has given you, that God is uniquely equipped to be a blessing to you. And if there's issues getting in the way of that, the answer is not to just blow that person off or, or to come over here and just feel bad about it and sit there. The answer is to engage and embrace that person and figure out, where is it that I'm not loving this person? How am I not trusting in this person? How is this person not trusting me or not trusting the Lord? You know, pressing into that. Right? So that's the message. It's, we're done. Pray, pray. So let's see a little specific, more specifically what, how God builds covenant. How he, what kind of covenant relationship that we have with the Lord. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 19, which is the chapter before the Ten Commandments that we're going to spend the rest of the series in. Chapter 19, beginning with verse 3, Moses is, you know, the people have come out of Israel. God has delivered them out of Israel. They've just come into the desert. Moses is, they've gotten to Mount Sinai. Moses is headed up the mountain to meet with the Lord. And this is what the Lord says to Moses. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that, I have, that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Okay, so this God is defining his covenantal relationship with the people of Israel. Let, let's break this down a little bit. So first of all, what does the Lord start with? The Lord starts with the idea that, um, Let me go back to verse 3. While Moses went up to God, the Lord said, Thus your house to Jacob. Okay, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Number one, God defeats our enemies. First point of God's covenant with us is that God will defeat our enemies. Even those enemies that seem to be just intractable. Those enemies that we just feel like we continue to come up against, we continue to struggle, we have some kind of issue in our heart, some kind of issue in our thoughts, some kind of issue with the external world, some kind of issue with our spouse, with our family, and it just seems like, ah, but God covenantally is saying, hey, I, I have, I am, and I will deliver you from all your enemies. I am. That's, that's a key part of this covenantal relationship. Number one, I'll defeat all your enemies. Number two, God delivers us up out of slavery. And and he says this even more explicitly. In this passage, he says, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to me. 
I, I love that picture. Imagine being captured, enslaved in a, in a foreign land, and then God sends this great eagle that scoops you up and sweeps you off into his kingdom. It's, it's just a beautiful picture. Who saw the Lord of the Rings, the movie? And they saw the scene where, the, where, where uh, uh, Frodo and Sam Gamgee, his little sidekick, I mean, talking about doom, it's, it's all over. Mount, the mountain is just erupting. There's lava flowing all around him. There's big slags of molten rock falling down all around him. All of a sudden, these big, giant eagles come swooping in and snatch him up. And it's just like, oh, what a, what a picture that is. And that is exactly what God has done with us and is doing with us and will do with us. He swoops in like an eagle and bears us up out of our captivity. That, that salvation uh, from captivity is more, even more explicit in chapter 20. Uh, you won't see it on the screen, but just take, take a look real quick. Chapter 20, verse 2. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So a big aspect of this covenantal relationship is that God defeats our enemies and he draws us up out of slavery. And it's one of the great, greatest lies of the enemy that what the world has to offer is freedom and what the Ten Commandments have to offer is slavery, you know? That, ah, you just, just dry, empty words that I have to obey. But that, that's the, a lie of the enemy. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. How many of you have lived this life long enough to know that what seems to be, oh, so much fun and awesome and life-giving and fulfilling turns out to be just life-sucking drudgery and what seems like kind of hard and like delayed gratification and like having to be disciplined and 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 approach it with the long view turns out to bring all kinds of joy and peace and and enrichment and fulfillment right but the enemy is constantly trying to switch do what's that game called with those you know they have three cups and they put the little thing underneath it and they switch it around you have to like the enemy's constantly shell game Enemies constantly playing shell games with us, right? Where's the blessing? You know, oh, it's here. It's in the world. It's instant. It's awesome. And it just turns out to be empty. Nothing there. Right? So God's covenant is that he defeats our enemies. He delivers us out of slavery to sin, to the devil, to the flesh, to the world. He delivers us from that slavery. Next, the next point here is God brings us to himself. I love that. It's not that God just breaks us out of jail and gets us out of the slavery to the enemy and to our sin, but he takes us somewhere, and where that is is to him. And when we struggle with God's commandments, when we struggle with his voice, the answer is not to just say, ah, he doesn't care over here, or to go, ah, I'm just a horrible person and just live there. The answer is to press in with him. He has saved you. He's given you salvation to bring you close to him. And the, ad, the key aspect of a good covenantal relationship is that it brings you closer to somebody, right? Having these parameters, these, these commandments actually facilitate and help us get closer and be more intimate and be more fulfilled and be more enriched. Amen? So God brings us to himself. Notice three of these things so far have been what God does. There's going to be, by the time I get to the bottom of this list, there's going to be Seven. Seven's a great number, isn't it? There's going to be seven things, and six of the seven are what God does, and one of the seven are what we do. 
So think about that and how that's weighted. So anyway, uh, what's, what's next? So, we, so what do we do? We obey his voice and keep his commandments. I love that he says we obey his voice. We obey him in relationship. He doesn't say you obey this, you know, dry, stoic, you know, list of rules, do's and don'ts, although we do do that. But he says your job is to obey my voice. Your job is to be in relationship so that you can hear my voice and hear my heart for you and what I desire for you and trust that and obey that out of that trust, right? That's our job in this covenant relationship. And that we keep his commandments because his commandments maximize, optimize life. They make life full and rich and worth living, right? To disobey his commandments is what robs us. That's where we find emptiness and disappointment and brokenness. And, and Satan has done such a job on us that we think, oh, commandment, oh, weight, heavy, oh, obligation. Uh. And it's just the opposite of that. The commandments are beautiful because they bring us close to God in a beautiful, powerful way. So that's what we do. And what, God, what does God do as a result of this covenant relationship? Number one, he makes us his treasured possession. Notice that he says he owns everything in the world, right? So he already owns you, by the way. Whether you're a believer or not, he owns you. In every, way, in every sense of the term, he owns you. So you're already owned by him. But the difference for a believer is that you are his treasured possession. To be in covenant with him means you are his treasure, his treasured possession. What does Hebrews say? I, we quote, I quote it all the time. We always quote it. I just love this verse. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. What's the joy? His treasured possession, having his us, having uh, his treasured possession. So we are his treasured possession, and he makes us a kingdom of priests, and he makes us a holy nation. Now, that sounds like really, like really, priests? I got to walk around in like long flowing black robes and make the sign of a cross in front of people. You know, it's like, that's, I just don't roll that way. How, how's, this, how's this a blessing to be a, a kingdom of priests? You think about what is a priest's job? A priest's job is to be to enter to be to be the go between between God and other people. Now, if God is awesome and holy and beautiful and amazing and full of truth and life and light and everything, is it not an awesome thing to be able to carry that and be be a vehicle, a vessel of that for the people around you? You know, to have that influence of the people around you, to have all this light. Paul said that Christ has put this treasure in a broken earthen vessel. What a blessing to have this treasure in, in the broken earthly vessels that we are, that we could share the light of God, the light of Christ with the people around us, both believers and unbelievers. So we are a kingdom of priests, and he makes us a holy nation. Every time I think hear the word holy, my my second grade Sunday school brain thinks, okay, tie, you know, polish shoes, button up, tight, uh, you know, can't move, or God's going to be mad, and kind of, and that is, is, holy means separated out, unique, different, having a, a, a different place, a, a, a different purpose than most things. Being pre- again, being treasured, being precious, 
We're a holy nation. We're separated out. We are in the special covenantal relationship with God. That it brings incredible wealth and beauty. The New Testament writers talk about, you know, it brings things that we cannot even imagine or hope for. Or hope for. Hope for. Right? Amen? So that, that's what it means to be a holy nation. It's amazing to me in Revelation. Revelation Day will probably remember when we're going through the letters that Jesus writes to the churches, he keeps saying over and over again, you know, here's, here's what I see. You're doing really good. Here's where you're struggling. If you conquer, if you hang in there and you conquer through my blood and my power, I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you to eat from the tree of life. I'm going to give you all these blessings. And one of the churches, one of the blessings is I will, get, I will make it so that you can sit down beside me on my throne and rule with me. Is that crazy? The God of the universe, the God of the cosmos is saying, hey, if you, if you enter into covenant relationship with you, I'm going to give you a place on my throne sitting right next to me. Just as I've gone and sat at the right hand of the Father, I'm going to give you a place to sit right next to me and rule and reign with me. That's, that's being a holy nation. That's amazing and awesome. All right, so this is all good. All good so far, right? We're all good? Okay, covenant, cool. Just love God, trust in him, and then do the right thing. Simple as that. But is it as simple as that? Everybody, has everybody attained perfection on, you know? Is everybody following the Ten Commandments? I, most of you know some or all of them. But there's a challenge with that, is there not? And the, that challenge results in blood. So we're going to talk about blood. This is a blood covenant. So let's skip down to Exodus 24-7. What happens in these chapters is, is God starts off with the Ten Commandments, but he doesn't stop there. He just keeps going. And there's all these commandments that God gives Moses and that, that really press into every, every aspect of the lives of the children of Israel. And at the very end of it, this covenant is ratified and, const- and it's ratified. It's probably the best word to use. Uh, chapter 24, verse 7 says, then, I t- then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. He is Moses. So Moses took the book of the covenant, all these laws that God's given Moses, all this covenant relationship that he's given Moses, and read it in the hearing of the people. And he said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Actually, they said, the people are saying, that. okay, all the Lord has spoken, we will do, we will be obedient. Done. Good. We're great, right? No problem. But and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Why blood? I mean, there's blood. I, all the way through the Bible, what is this fascination with blood? How come every time God starts talking about having a relationship with us and having covenant relationship with us, at some point blood enters the discussion? There's a lot. There's a lot I could say about this. Um, I'll just narrow it down. Keep it as as direct and clean and simple as I can. So, in the ancient world, when you entered into a covenant relationship, for example, if you're a they call him a suzerain king. If you're a a high king, a powerful king, and and your next door to you is this this lower king, a less powerful king. What you do is you send your emissary to this less powerful king and you say, look, 
become part of you guys become part of our kingdom. We'll protect you. We'll we'll take our big resources and help develop you as a country, and you're going to pay us taxes. And if you don't fulfill the obligations of this covenant, you don't pay your taxes, you don't give a certain percentage of your young men to join the army, then guess what? We're going to come in with our army and we're going to wipe you out. That's the covenant. Deal? <laughs> want to shake on that? And, and of course, the consequence of breaking that covenant is what? It's blood. And often the ceremony that was part of these, these they would, the, the Hebrew word is berit, which means to cut, all right? And it has a number of different interpretations, but one key to interpretations is you take an animal and you cut it right down the middle. In fact, God does this with Abraham when, when God is establishing and ratifying the covenant with Abraham. He says, tells Abraham, get these, all these animals together, cut them right down the middle, put one half of the animal on this side and one half of the animal on this side, and then the two, two part people entering, in the covenant, entering into the covenant would walk between these animals, and, and, and oftentimes in, in the ancient world, they would trade robes, trade the belt, trade their sandals, and it's like, look, my wealth is your wealth, my enemies are your enemies, and if we break covenant with each other, guess what? One or both of us is going to wind up like these animals right here. And that's a powerful message, is it not? What if you're going to get married, and as you walk down the aisle, the father-in-law has put two halves of, of, of a cow on either side of the aisle? It's like, you mess. You mess with my daughter. See that cow right there? That's you. Right? That would, that would put a whole other sort of level to, okay, honey, I'm, I'm committed to you. you know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm sickness and in health, man. I'm not going to wind up like that cow. Right? So it, it accomplishes one purpose that it accomplishes it is that it, it reveals it. How do I say it? It is a sign of what happens when the covenant is broken. Right? Just a, just a reminder, you break covenant, one or both of you are going to wind up uh, spilling blood. Okay? Here's the other aspect of what the blood does. The blood is a sign of substitutionary death. So when Moses kills, it just before these verses I read, M Moses had already slaughtered these animals, collected their blood, put the blood in this big basin, all right? And that's foreshadowing substitutionary death. What Moses is doing there is saying, hey, you break covenant with God, and this could be your blood. But he's also simultaneously saying, but you know what? God is going to provide, a, in this case, a cow as a substitute to you. So it's not your blood, it's the cow's blood. But then, is that sufficient? If that's sufficient, then why did Christ have to come and die on the cross? Right? It's not sufficient. It just foreshadowed, it just anticipated Christ's substitutionary death. So that when we break God, we break faith with God, we break his covenant, it's not our blood, it's Christ, if we put our hope and faith in him. If we don't put our hope and faith in him, guess what? It's not on you. It's your blood. Amen? So does that mean, kind of going back to the kind of two ends of the spectrum, and I want to talk about this end of the spectrum for a moment. You know, does that mean, well, okay, Christ has died on the cross. His blood covers me. 
I'm good. I can go 85 miles an hour down the 15 freeway on the way to give a message on covenant and keeping the covenant, <laughs> right? And God will just deal with it. No problem. Is that is that what being in covenant relationship with God means? Obviously not. And, and I can't think of a more stronger passage to talk about this than Matthew. Or we'll go to Matthew 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gives this massive sermon and really... What Jesus does in, in the Sermon on the Mount is he takes the covenant that God has made with his people in the Old Testament and he brings that covenant forward and says, look, well, what does he say? Let's just read. I'll, I'll just read instead of giving you a, a pre-summary. So Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. That's being a priest, right? In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Here we go. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? fulfill them. That is a key concept for understanding the covenant of God in the context of the New Testament, in the context of our relationship in Christ, this covenant relationship that Christ has made for us in him. He did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So he's saying here, you know, the law is still valid all the way until the end of the earth. And right away you go, well, oh, does that mean we should be still be sacrificing? I mean, it's written in the Mosaic law. We should be sacrificing bulls and goats. You know, we should be circumcised. We should be eat, eat kosher foods only. How come we're not doing all that? And the answer to that question is in that phrase, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. So the aspects of the law that involve temple worship and temple sacrifice are fulfilled in Christ. We are actually Christ's temple. Paul says that we are living stones being knit together into the temple of God. What is a temple? A temple is where God resides. Where does God reside in the New Testament era after Christ's death and resurrection? He resides in us. We are his temple. And we don't sacrifice bulls and goats because Christ has already come into the perfect temple, the heavenly temple, and spilled his own blood for our sake, substitution. Right? So those laws no longer apply. They're fulfilled in Christ. Also, like I mentioned, a lot of the ethnic laws, dietary laws, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, you know, not a bad, bad idea to eat a kosher diet, by the way. It turns out to be a very healthy diet. But it's not a requirement in that crisis fulfilled those things. And now, instead of it being this ethnic, uh, this faith that is expressed ethnically, crisis brought all into all. There's no more dividing wall. We are all in Christ. There's no longer ethnic distinctions. So the ethnic aspects of the Old Testament law have been fulfilled in Christ. So what's, what's left? Let's take a look. Uh, continue reading. 19. 
Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least. Gosh, sorry. I hate it when I do that. You guys, you guys are like, yeah, I hate it too, John. It's freaks us out. Um, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does not does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God, in kingdom of heaven. Catch this, verse twenty. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Whoa. The person who tends to live over here right now is going, that's it. See, done. I have no sal- I have no I have no hope. I have no salvation. Right, my righteousness needs to exceed those of the Pharisees? Yes, it does, if it's based on your righteousness, right? The, guy, the person over here, Jesus is saying, look, I haven't abolished my covenant. I haven't abolished my desire to be close to you and to, to have this relationship with you that is built on covenant relationship. I haven't taken that away. In fact, all the more, I want to be even closer to you. I've become a human being so that I might get closer to you, right? So I don't want to just blow this off. This is important. This is key. So where do we, how do we stand with this? Where do we go with this? Moses mentioned, talked about, this is the blood of the covenant. Does that sound kind of vaguely familiar in a, in a New Testament context? Let's take a look. Uh, Luke chapter 22. And then we'll develop this. We'll read this briefly and then develop this a little more and then close and wrap. So Luke 22, starting in verse 19. This, of course, is the Lord's Supper. Moses said, this is the blood of the covenant. And then he sprinkled y'all with, with blood from a cow. Here's what Jesus says. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Right? Moses takes the blood of a cow and sprinkles y'all and says, now obey God. Jesus takes his own blood and sprinkles our hearts, sprinkles our spirits and says, I love you. You're mine. You belong to me. Walk with me. Trust me. And trust plays itself out and is revealed by us hearing his voice and obeying him, right? And do any of us do it perfectly? None of us do it perfectly. But are we engaged in this relationship? And if we're engaged in this relationship, we're gradually going to hear his voice a little better, and we're gradually going to obey him a little better. That's called sanctification. There's two realities in our current state right now, and and. And it, the, what says it the best, and you're not going to see it on the screen, but I'm going to just jump there real quick. Um, or you may see it on the screen. No, you won't. Okay. Uh, let me find it real quick. Okay, it's Hebrews 10:14. This explains these two sort of paradoxical realities really well. Uh, by the way, Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 10, your homework for this week. The homework for this message Read these two chapters. These two chapters really lay it out in terms of how it is that Christ has fulfilled the covenant and how we are to walk with him in the midst of Christ's fulfillment of the covenant, okay? But just real quick, a little snippet here. Verse 14 says, 
For by a single offering, meaning Christ's offering, Christ's blood, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you hear the two kind of paradoxical ideas in there? Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross and his own blood, has perfected us for all time. We are perfect. In God's sight, in God's view, right now, your sinful self, you are perfect before him because you're covered in the blood of Christ. And simultaneously, you are what? Being sanctified. So when it comes to the Ten Commandments, and as we go through the Ten Commandments this week, the first question is, are you, have, have, have you been covered in the blood of Christ? And if yes, then you, you are perfect before God. He sees Christ's um, substitution on you. And simultaneously, you are working through your sanctification through Christ's ongoing empowerment, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You're working through the, the, the sanctification. And when you blow it, when, I, when, I, when I'm speeding down the freeway this morning to deliver a, a message on keeping God's covenant, prom, you know, covenant promises and, and his commandments, and you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm blowing it. I, you know what? I've made an idol out of this in my life, and the first commandment is don't have, you know, make me, the, I'm the ultimate, I'm God, and now I realize I'm making idols out of this stuff. Don't go over here and go, oh, it's, it's all over for me. I'm done. I can't do anything about it. It's done. No, instead go, okay, Lord, there's something wrong in my heart and in my mind and the way I'm thinking about this and the way I'm being with you. And, and God, teach me how to trust you more. You trust in you more. Trust in you for the pleasure rather than trusting in this thing over here, right? Or if you're over here and going, ah, you know, everybody speeds. Come on, the common, common speed rule. Everybody, just go with the flow, right? <laughs> no, it means something. It means that maybe I'm not trusting God to get here when I need to get here. It's not about speeding per se. It's about what does speeding reveal about where my heart and my mind is, right? And what do I need to repent of? But I need to repent. I need to back off, which I did. Slow down, right? But I, but deeper, uh, the deeper thing, the thing that will change my pattern or behavior over time in this process of sanctification is to say, oh, wait a second, what am I putting my hope and faith in, Lord, here? Am I putting my hope and faith again in my own adrenaline and being all hopped up in fight or flight mechanisms? Or am I putting my faith in you? Right? That's, that's I des- my desire for us as a church as we go through these commandments is to to operate on that level and think about it's not just about keeping the commandments it's, it's it's about why what's going what's what is me either keeping the commandment or not keeping the commandment reveal about my relationship with the lord and start with your relationship with the lord and where you are with the lord and maybe you need to understand his grace more maybe you need to understand his love for you more maybe you need to understand his power in your life more rather than trusting in your own power Right? So I want to I go back through this list of covenantal descriptions that we pulled from Exodus 19.3.6. And I want to look at them in the light of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And by the way, this is an interpretive uh, strategy that you should always use with the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament mean in, in light of 
the finished work of Christ. That's how we interpret the Old Testament. Okay? So how do we interpret this? That God says to Moses that he's defeated Egypt. He's defeated their enemies. Christ says to his Christ says, I've defeated your enemies. I've defeated the world, the flesh, and the devil. I've defeated your sin nature. I have done that. Okay? Moses says, God delivers us up out of slavery. Jesus says, I have delivered you from slavery to all these things that we've been talking about. Moses, God says to Moses God, that he br- God brings us to himself. Jesus says, look, if you're tired, if you're burnt out, if you're weary, come to me. My burden is light. You know, My teaching is easy. I love you. I have compassion for you. The author of Hebrews says we have a compassionate high priest. He's been there. He's done that. He knows what we go through. Come to him. God says to Moses, obey my voice and keep my commandments. Jesus is saying, look, listen to me. Hear me. My commandments are not a burdensome thing. My commandments are love me and love your neighbor. Those are my commandments. Right? It's a, my commandments bring life, joy, pleasure. That's what my commandments do because my commandments are about relating to me and being close to me. That's what Jesus is telling us. God says to, to Moses, hey, uh, I'm, your, I'm making you a treasured possession. Are we not a treasured possession of Christ? Did Christ go to the cross just so he could go, oh, yeah, I got a little trinket. I died on the cross so I could add a little trinket to my collection. You are not a trinket. He went to the cross for you. You are his treasured possession. Listen to his voice. You need to hear that voice that says you are a treasured possession. He loves you deeply. He knows all about it, and he loves you. God tells Moses, hey, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Jesus, especially, I mean, Revelation, Jesus says, hey, you are my priest. You are my holy nation. I have made you that way. Now reign with me now in the here and now. We live in the old creation. This is the old creation. We live in this old creation. But you, what does Scripture say? Scripture says you are a new creation. You are already right now today a new creation. So wherever you show up in a room, new creation has showed up there. You are a priest of God's new creation. Right? You are the light of the world. Don't put yourself under a bushel. You show up and God's new creation is showing up. That's an awesome thing. You're a holy nation. You're separate. You're different because you're married to God in a way that says, I I love my spouse. She is amazing. He is amazing. I want to know him more. I want to know her more. That's what what a healthy marriage is about, right? Healthy relationship with God is, I'm if I'm, if I'm over here, I'm visiting this place over here, I'm blowing it. God, I'm so sorry. And I love you, and I know that you love me. Let's work this through. Show me what it, where am I misguided here? Where am I putting my hope in? Why am I putting my hope in letting cable TV wash over me and somehow give me some kind of joy and deep abiding satisfaction? Is that really, God, is that really giving me long-term lasting joy? Or is it stepping away and getting with some people and going to have a meal together? 
and and speaking of Christ and, and all of that he's done. It's a, a much more enriching way to spend a few hours. But it's all about, you know what, looking, pressing in with the Lord. He's pressed in with us. Well, Lord, what do you have for me? I know you have something more, something better, and I'm missing it. Or if you're over here and you go, ah, I can just do whatever. Man, you have so devalued the treasure that you are. God, man, God has so much wealth for you, and you're just like, it's like you've got a million dollars in the bank, and it's like, ah, it doesn't matter. I, you know what? I'd have to go do the formal thing and write, write a check and go walk past security and pull out the million. I, I don't want to do that. Seriously? But that's what, that's what we do. And, and it's one thing to visit there, but if you're living there, by the way, if there's no evidence of the affection of Christ, that, that you have no affection for Christ, no interest in understanding who he is and what he's about and what he says about you and your life and your purpose, I don't care if you went to the, what do they call it? Big deal and everybody gets saved. and Yeah, those things. <laughs> Maybe you've done that 20 times. Maybe you've gone up and said the sinner's prayer 20 times. And you just kind of want this fire insurance, but you have no interest in God himself. I, I got to tell you, I would be worried. I would, if I'm talking to you and you're in that place, I'm worried for you. Because it's not about that. You've missed it. You've missed the point. Likewise, if you're over here and just every time you blow it, and you do, and you're right, you blew it, and God's, God's law is holy and perfect, and the problem is not his law. The problem is you blew it. But you just stay there and go, okay, God, I blew it again. You must just hate me. There's nothing for me. Then you're basically saying, Jesus, your sacrifice doesn't matter. Your death on the cross wasn't enough. The blood you spilt all over yourself isn't enough to make me holy and perfect before a living God. Is that what you want to say? Christ, I don't think so. It's the right place for us to stand. And as we continue through this series of the Ten Commandments is, Lord, this is how you define the relationship you want to have with me. And when I'm blowing it and I'm leaning this way or that way or whatever, it means something about where I'm standing in the relationship. Help me to stand in the relationship better. Empower me through your Holy Spirit to, to trust your love, to trust your provision, to trust your power. Right? And when the law comes and it reveals something, don't run away from it. God, that's God trying to get closer to you. Go, okay, oh, I see it. I see I speeding. I'm speeding. I see I'm, I'm you know, cheating on my finances. I see that I am putting my my whole focus and joy on food and wanting to, to eat food constantly. I mean, whatever. You pick your poison, right? We all have our own poison. We all have our own predilection of whatever it is we use as an idol. We all have idols in our lives. But we have been made perfect in Christ, and he has us on the path of sanctification. And one day, Scripture promises that Jesus will present us to his Father, holy and perfect. We won't get there in this life, but at the consummation, the final day, we will be made that way. And then in the meantime, how about we just love God? And it's hard to do. And that's why we need Christ and this whole message. Let's pray.